Good evening, everyone. I trust that this video is finding you well and uh, that you are taking the opportunity to do some things that you don't normally do. Uh, I know we're forced to do things we don't want to do, such as stay in our homes and wear masks and, and, uh, and, and have a lot of our activities and things that we normally do curtailed. But I hope that you're also spending time with family. I hope that you're also finding ways to reach out and talk to friends, catch up with people that maybe Maybe time, it shouldn't have, but time just wasn't there for you. And now you have the time, and so I would encourage you to do so. Please be patient as you hear rumbles of us returning back to a semi-normal process as we begin to hear of governors speaking of how they're going to allow us to return to life. Uh, I remind you, using Brother Arash's encouragement from several nights ago from the story of Noah, that while the waters did abate, we also need to realize is that the ark came to rest on Mount Ararat and he stayed there for days and days and days. If I remember correctly, 100 days. They're waiting for God to bring everything back to the place that the door could be opened and that he could, um, that he could return. So be patient. Be patient. Be praying uh, that God will guide the staff, uh, the pastoral team, and decisions that we have to make as we, as we lead and guide the church. And so let's begin with that prayer. I'd like for you to join with me in prayer specifically for your pastoral team. Uh, I'd like you to pray for your brothers and sisters in the church. I'd like you to also pray for our government and our civil servants that are medical professionals that are serving us, that God's wisdom would be with all of us as we continue through uh, this crisis and this time frame. Would you join me now? Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you, Lord, for the breath of life that you have given to each of us. And God, I proclaim your majesty, I proclaim your sovereignty, and I thank you, Lord, that you are with us and that you are our God. And God, we ask you that you would give us wisdom. Solomon asked for wisdom, and Lord, you, you were pleased with it. And God, we also ask for wisdom that comes from above. And we're asking you to give it liberally. God, we pray for our government. We pray, Lord, for the world's governments. We pray for the leaders and the medical professionals, Lord, that are, are serving us. Help, Lord Jesus, for them to have wisdom beyond their capacity so that decisions that are being made are made according to what is best for all of society. And God, I pray, Lord, for our pastoral team as we make decisions in the upcoming weeks that your wisdom and guidance would be with us, Lord. And God, I pray for each of my brothers and sisters that you would strengthen them, give them encouragement in this time, but God, also give them wisdom as things begin to ease up and as decisions have to be made. Help us to continue to be cautiously courageous. And God, leading God our every step. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, this week we've had a theme that's looking at uh, when uh, you believed. In fact, the title of it is um, The Moment I Believed. And uh, it comes from John chapter 20, in which uh, several moments are captured of Jesus' followers believing that he lived and or understanding that he was indeed their Lord and their God, as in Thomas's exclamation. Uh, we find Peter and the other disciples when they entered the tomb and saw the grave clothes, or Mary when Jesus spoke her name, or the disciples when Jesus suddenly appeared among them, coming through the walls and through the doors. And then, of course, Thomas, the one that we focus so much upon when he touched Jesus, or at least was invited to touch Jesus with his own hands. So in this week, we have each speaker has pulled from this text in John chapter 20 verse 29 in which Jesus said you're blessed Thomas for believing but those who believe without seeing are even more blessed 
And, uh, and so we've tried to relate uh, the moment that Jesus came alive for us, the moment that we realized that his resurrection was real and that it was going to have a continued impact on our lives. And so as I come to you tonight to share my story, uh, many of you may have heard portions or pieces of it, but tonight I'm going to share my story in a way that's never been shared before. Um, there's elements that you're going to recognize unless this is the first time that you've come in contact with us, and if so, we welcome you. Those of you that are new watchers and new listeners, we welcome you. We're glad that you've joined us. And um, But for anybody that's been associated with the church, you've heard pieces of my story. The first thing that I want you to understand about my story is, is that I was, I was born, I was conceived in a marriage that was already a Pentecostal marriage. My father had been brought to the Lord by my mother. Both were filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues. Both were baptized in the matchless name of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. And they, they were attempting to live a holy life. And so from my womb, I have been in the church. From my mother's womb, from my conception, I have been in the church. And so, honestly, there was not for me a moment when I suddenly believed. I always believed in God. I always knew there was a God. At the age of six, I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, praying. An elder gentleman prayed with me. I'd slept through my father's sermon and uh, woke up, got, went up and prayed. I don't even know what moved me. I don't have any memory of that. I do have brief snapshots of kneeling at on these little pads in front of a metal chair, and I spoke in a language I did not understand. But because God had always been real for me, because I received the Holy Ghost at the young age of six, there's not a distinct moment when I suddenly believed. For me, the story of when the resurrection of Jesus becomes real is the story of not when I believed, but it's the story of when I submitted. And in fact, the real argument would be the moment I began to obey and then the moment that I submitted. Now, for those of you, I'm not going to tell you the story of my submission tonight. That was uh, on the side of a big old tabernacle at a campground where after Jack Cunningham and T.F. Tenney had preached night after night and day after day, I finally submitted myself and said, God, I will live my life the way that you want me to. I accepted my call into the ministry and I've not looked back. But the moment of my obedience was a little different. And so I want to tell you that story, but in order to tell you that story, I want to take you on a field trip. So if you'll come with me, we're going to go see where I began my journey of obedience. All right, everybody. Let's go on a road trip. What you're seeing right now is my home. And I, uh, if you did not know it, I actually lived for many, many years around the corner from my mom and my dad. And so uh, it's not hard to take you to where much of my early life occurred. And uh, so this that I'm driving down right now is Ballinger Road. If you've ever seen my address, it's a little cross street and a 
neighborhood called Chapel Hill. This is Decker Drive. And the next street up is a large horseshoe street that my parents and I lived on for many, many years. It's called Aronimink, old Indian name. They lived literally a stone's throw away from my house at 117 Aronimink Drive. The other end of Ballinger Road is a cross street known as Chapel Hill Drive. And it also connects up to Aronimink Drive. So either direction, just a few feet from my house, I'm able to come up. And this in front of you is, I'm pulling into, is the home that my parents purchased when I was six years old. And this is where I need to tell you my story. So, everybody. Come on in, and I'm going to show you where I begin to obey. This is 117 Aronimic Drive. Come on in, everybody. So the first thing I want to show you is um, this is the living room. Obviously, there's no furniture that the house is empty waiting to be occupied. But along the left-hand side was where, for the entirety of my life here, there was a couch. My dad's big chair was over there in the corner. And there was always a chair in this corner. And the reason I tell you about this is because it was in this space right here on the couch here. My mom would sit there. My dad would sit there. For the majority of my life, we would have family altar that many of you have heard us talk about and refer to right here in this space. We read the Bible through many years. We read the manual through. My dad would explain why he believed what he believed and how he operated as a minister. But what's most important that I want you to understand is it's about here, right here in this spot, Later years, my parents took up the carpet, but it's right here in this spot that I would spend many a night sitting on the floor. My mom would be sitting in this chair. My dad would be sitting in that chair. And my mom would say to me over and over and over, son, you need a relationship with God. Now, remember, I told you I received the Holy Ghost at six. I've always known God. I was conceived with both parents serving God. So I would get very frustrated, and I'm talking years. And then Mom would get tired of it. Sorry, Mom, but she would. She'd get tired, and she'd go to bed. And my dad would sit here, and he and I would talk. And I would yell. I would be frustrated because I thought I knew God, I and I did. I thought because I believed in God that that was what I needed. But there was something more that was needed. And so this, this room, this room was where 
the wolves, as I've referred to my parents, first began to nip at my haunches, to demand of me that I not just serve their God, but that he become my God. And so let me take you to another room in the house. So as you come out of the living room down the hallway here, this is the family room. Now, this has been converted. My grandmother used to live here. And um, so this space here um, turned into a living room space, and there's a bedroom in the garage, etc. But originally, uh, this was a family room. If you can imagine, we replaced the carpet, but 70s shag, multicolored carpet. And um, I think mom and dad loved that carpet till the day they moved out. But in the time that I'm going to tell you about, uh, this was a family room. There wasn't a kitchen area over here at all. And uh, so there was, a, there was a couch that was in this space um, over opposite what is now the kitchen cabinets. There was a couch here. Uh, this is also, for those of you that remember the story of me and some of my escapades, this is where I had the perfect croquet shot. One ball with my foot on it, the other ball on the other side, and I hit it perfectly, and boom, I cracked the glass. That was an expensive thing to fix. Anyway, mom and dad made me fix it. So let's go to one other place and I'll make clear to you my story. So down the hallway comes these three bedrooms. Later in life, that was my bedroom. In fact, under that window there is where I did most of my homeschooling. But it's this little room right here. That is where the real story began. So my bed sat right about here in the middle. I had a chair in the corner, nightstand over here in this corner. It's a very small room. For those of you that know some of my story, this is also where my mom sat on the end of the bed, pulled out the drawer when I threatened to run away from home, asked me how many pairs of underwear I wanted. That freaked me out, and I never, ever threatened that again. But the moment that I first obeyed was roughly about the time that I was 12 years of age. Late one night, the middle of the night, I heard a sound. It woke me. I was lying in this bed, and I crawled out of bed because I couldn't figure out what the sound was. And forgive me, I'm, I'm not trying to be melodramatic, but I want you to understand and feel what I experienced. So I crawled out of bed, and I kind of came to the edge of my door, and I looked down the hallway, and I could tell that my mom was was down the hallway. My mom was in bed, and I don't remember if the door was closed, but I, I knew she was in bed. But I kept hearing this sound, and so I began to crawl. And so I remember distinctly, I crawled and I got to the edge here and I looked down the hallway and I could see the light on down in the family room and the sound was getting louder. And so literally, forgive me for doing this, but I crawled very slowly and very carefully. You've got to understand in this era, I was a sneaky kid. I was lying, I was cheating, still with the Holy Ghost, but I was lying, I was cheating. So I, I, I crawled very slowly, there was carpet on the floor, and I crawled 
until I could get to about here. When I got to about here, I could just see into the family room. Just enough to see what was going on. And what was going on is my father had pulled off of this couch the same couch that he had prayed at and received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He had pulled the cushions off this couch and had laid them across this floor. And he was lying prostrate upon these upon these cushions. And he was, the best word that I can give you to explain it is he was wailing. I'm not saying it was at the top of his lungs, but he was wailing. God save my boy. You see, this was the room I remember coming home from Christian school and I thought I'd gotten crafty. A girl wouldn't let me play with her little Miss Pac-Man. And I didn't like her. And so showing off for my friends coming up the stairs, she and I got into it and I got crafty. I didn't cuss at her. I just described the cuss word. So I called her a female dog. Thought I was really cool. Well, my buddy, God love him, he went and used it later. But the problem is he used it on my cousin, who then my aunt knew about it, which then then my aunt took it. By the time I got home riding the bus from the school in Dover, there had already been a phone call to my parents. This was the room where my dad had had dealt with me. I was lying. I was cheating. I was dealing with the broken Stephen, filled with the Holy Ghost, had always believed in God. But I wasn't obeying God. And so it's in that season with these kinds of things going on, and my father's laying on this ground, and he's just he's on these cushions, the very cushions he had prayed and God had filled him with the Holy Ghost, and he's praying, God, save my son. So you got to understand and remember that over here, here I am in the hallway. I'm peering into the room. Everybody else is asleep. My mom, the house is quiet except for my dad. And so I carefully, forgive me for my knees, I'm not going to crawl back, but I crawled all the way back down the hallway. And you know how memories are like videos and things like that? Well, I, I paused here for a moment and I kind of, I kind of stopped here at the corner just as I had stopped before. I stopped here at the corner and I, I listened. And then I crawled back down the hallway and I spent some time in this space right here. And then I crawled back into bed and I couldn't sleep. I could hear my father praying. And if memory serves me correctly, I finally, and this was a long time, folks, this was not, this didn't happen quickly. This wasn't five minutes. I finally flopped out of bed, and in this little space right here, I knelt. As memory serves me, it was either here or I might have crawled, and the only words I can use is in agony. I crawled back out to here, and somewhere in this room, in this space, I finally said to God, okay, God, I will serve you. As I already alluded to, there was another phase where I had to submit to serving the way he wanted me to. 
And that happened at Camp Saginaw, and that was the call of my ministry, as I already alluded to. But you see, the moment that Jesus became real for me was the moment that my father reached into the heavens and petitioned Jesus to somehow reach me. I've told you all this before, but I'm going to tell you again. I did not start serving Jesus because I loved him. I started serving Jesus because I loved my father and my mother. And somehow these two wolves, as I have characterized them, had conveyed to me that as much as they loved me, the wail of my father was a wail of love. As much as they loved me, they were not going to stop following the risen Lord. He was too real. He was too powerful. They loved him. I wasn't sure I loved him. I sensed that he wanted me to do things that I didn't want to do. I had dreams. I wanted to go places. I wanted to be things. And I had a sense that he wasn't going to let that happen. But I didn't want to lose my parents. And so approximately 35 years ago, on a night, my God reached to heaven. Excuse me. My father reached to the God in heaven. And that God in heaven reached down to me. The Holy Spirit that was in me stirred. But the love for my father and my mother also stirred. This is the moment that this Pentecostal kid believed. Not in the sense of believing that God is. I always believed that. Not in the sense of knowing that Jesus rose from the dead. That's all I'd ever known. And I believed it. I trusted it. I didn't want to go to hell, and I did want to go to heaven. But I didn't want to do anything that God wanted me to do. I wanted to live it my way. I wanted things to go my way. But the moment that Jesus became real to me is that night, as I probably for the first time didn't just pray to God, didn't just know about God, but God and I brokered a deal. My motivation in that moment was my love of my parents. But we brokered a deal. And for those of you that are watching, I need you to understand something about this guy. He loves you. He commended, he demonstrated his love towards you. And that while we were still sinners, he died for us. But also please never mistake the reality that this God, this God, is not playing around. That little boy at 12 years of age was under an amount of pressure, and that's why I told you my movements, because it was agony. As my memory serves, it it, it felt like hours. I don't know if it was. I have no idea, because I crawled back into my bed, and I fell asleep. But to this day, that moment, that commitment, That's what changed my life. Without that moment and that commitment, I could not have heard the voices of T.F. Tenney and Jack Cunningham. I could not have heard the voice of God calling me into ministry and everything else. I could not have learned as my parents, my two wolf parents, taught me in the wolf den, 
Son, you have to have a relationship with God. And I would yell and I would scream and I'd be frustrated. But that night in this room, 35 years ago, is when that relationship began. If you're listening to this broadcast tonight, the reason we're sharing our stories is not just to tell stories. It's to tell you that God's real. And if you'll talk to him, if you'll engage him, please understand you'll find love and grace and mercy, but you'll also find a God who's very, very insistent that he knows what is best. He will demand of you obedience. He will call you into submission. That there's no better life. So in the midst of all of the change that we're in, in the midst of all of this that's happening, as we close tonight in prayer, I invite you, if you have not gotten a relationship with God, I'm not talking about your knowledge of God. I'm not talking about that you're filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm talking about if you have not gotten a relationship where you know his voice. Maybe something in my story has touched you. Maybe some of the other stories that have been shared have touched you. I invite you to find yourself a corner and for you and God to get serious about what you're up to. It'll change your life. You'll never be the same. It won't go your way. But I can also tell you, you'll never have a better life than that life. Jesus, in this place, this, for me, a holy place, God, I ask you right now by your spirit to reach out across time and space and to touch hearts and minds right now. And God, I'm not just talking about those who may not know you. I'm talking about those of us who know you, but we, we've not gotten serious with you. Or maybe we have and we've forgotten. But you're not playing around. You are a sovereign king and you expect from us obedience and submission. So God, I pray that you would use my story. Use the stories of this week, Lord, to reach down and to touch hearts and minds. Because, God, I don't know what 35 years from now, when I am an old man, what somebody will maybe tell on another video camera of a place that they heard and they were moved and they bowed their knee and they agonized and they fought and they struggled. But they ultimately spoke the words that you yourself spoke as well. Not my will. Thy will be done. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.